we are joined by a special guest. We have Gator Great, NFL vet, and ESPN analyst Chris Doring. So thank you for coming on the pod. Yeah, man. Nice to have you. Have you guys here in my office? Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So um, let's jump right into it. Playoff is set. Did the committee get it right? You know, I'm of the belief. It's funny because in the in the beginning. You know, I thought there was no way that if Georgia were to lose to Alabama that they'd have an argument to get in. Um, I thought Notre Dame being undefeated that they were a lock to get in. And then being on the on the sideline, I was in Atlanta um, on the sideline for the SEC championship game. Looking at, at Georgia's team, the way they are built physically, um, the speed that they have, the competitiveness that they had with Alabama, those two teams looked very interchangeable to me. And so... Um, after that game was over, even though Georgia lost, which they certainly let Alabama off the hook, they had them multiple times late into that game, but I was of the belief that they were one of the best four teams. And I think one of the hard things about the college football playoff as it stands right now is determining what are the criteria. Is it, is it most deserving? Is it, is it the two best team, four best teams? Um, the guidelines say four best teams, but we as human beings you know, take into consideration all these other factors. So I think the criteria still are very blurry. But um, after that, you know, I was of the belief that Oklahoma still deserved to be in after having avenged their loss to Texas in the regular season during the college, uh, the uh, Big 12 championship game. And then the um, the team that I felt like probably should have been out was Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's a team that they don't play in a conference. They don't have to suffer the rigors of the cumulative effect of playing a conference schedule like we do in the SEC. And they don't have a conference championship game. So I don't know why they feel like – or I don't know why – we as a country, as a college football group, allow Notre Dame to play by a separate set of rules. So um, my vote was to have Oklahoma in. I would I, I would like to have had um, you know, Georgia and Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama in. I think the weird thing would be about the seeding. Where do we decide how, how to seed it? You don't want to have Alabama and Georgia again. I think Georgia is probably a better team than Oklahoma is as well. So I probably would have had Georgia at three, uh, Oklahoma at four. But let's just say you do decide to leave Georgia out and you have Oklahoma and Notre Dame in. I believe Oklahoma uh, probably is getting done a disservice by being in that fourth spot having to play Oklahoma first. I think I think Alabama's getting done a disservice by having to play Oklahoma first. I think Oklahoma should probably be three and Notre Dame, if they are in, should be number four. So are the four teams that made it into the playoff, are those the four best teams in your mind? No, nah, nah, I don't think they're the four best teams. I think, you know, I think I think I think Notre Dame, if they played an SEC schedule, Oklahoma if they played an SEC schedule, Ohio State if they played an, Ohio, uh, an uh, SEC schedule would probably have multiple losses. I think, you know, one of the interesting things to me is that the college football playoff committee does not, um, they don't take into consideration Vegas spreads. Um, I'm of the belief that they probably should have a Vegas guy on there because if you look at some of these hypothetical spreads as the season goes on, you know, you looked at Alabama, um, they, they, they had Alabama like a, 20-point favorite over Notre Dame on a neutral field. They had Alabama as, a, as an 11-point favorite over, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe it was over, uh, George, uh, excuse me, of um, Oklahoma, or over Clemson. I think they were 15-point favorites over Oklahoma. That was like with a couple weeks to go in the season. So I, I, I think that um, there should be some sort of um, Vegas influence on, on how they see these teams stacking up. And I, I was fortunate enough to be on the – I had an opportunity to go participate in the college football playoff mock committee and uh, to see the inner workings of how that, that transpires is pretty cool. But I do think they still need some tweaks to it, including you know better defined criteria and also um, you know having that influence from maybe some 
some Vegas folks who can determine the um, strength of teams. So would you have liked to see a two-loss Georgia team make it over an undefeated Notre Dame team just because of the um, the schedule difference and being in a tougher conference? Well, again, what's the criteria? It's the, it's the four best teams, right? And I think, um, you know, you look at, look at Notre Dame this season. Um, they did get better when Ian Book take o- took over at the quarterback position, but our 11th best team from the SEC went to South Bend and just about beat them. Vanderbilt had them beat. They let them off the hook with about five or six different plays that they probably, if they make one of them, they win that football game. Um, you know, I look at, I look at uh, Ohio State. Ohio State went to Purdue, a 6-6 six and six football team, and got beat by 29 points. The same venue that Missouri, who was probably in the middle of the pack of the SEC, went to and won. So, again, I, I think it's very difficult when you're trying to determine who's the best team because everybody doesn't play a uniform schedule or more of a uniform schedule like the NFL does. But in comparing different games where there's similar opponents, you know, it's pretty clear to me that the SEC – is still the, the dominant conference in the country, both in best teams at the top and depth of talent throughout. So would you like to see an eight-team playoff? Yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously a hotly contested subject right now. Um, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that an eight-team playoff would be good. I don't think it necessarily would de-emphasize the regular season. I think that's the biggest fear that fans have is, is that regular season games wouldn't mean as much anymore. I don't think that's the fact. I don't think that that's true. Um on our radio show this morning, actually, my co-host brought up a, a good um, fear, and that is, hey, what point in time do teams that know they're in start resting some of their players? You know, with Alabama and Auburn being at the end of the season, you know, is it a chance that Alabama knows they're already in and now they rest some of their, their guys like the NFL does? And that certainly would, would be a fear and de-emphasize some of the um, importance of the regular season. But I think, you know, the way I would look at it is, hey, there's, there's um, five – Conference champions, I still want to keep the, 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 the conference championship games. Those teams, if they're ranked in the top 12 or top 15, if they win, then they, they get automatic berths. And then you have three at-large teams, um, one of which I, I don't like the idea of necessarily giving a group of five team an automatic berth because in some years they're not worthy. I mean, the last two years UCF has obviously shown that they would be in consideration for one of those at-large spots. But... Let's say UCF was not undefeated this year. Let's say they had lost that game to Memphis early in the early in the season, or they lost to Temple when they were struggling. Um, you know, the next Group of Five team behind them, what maybe Fresno, and, and Fresno's ranked in the you know the bottom, what around twenty to twenty five, somewhere around there. So I don't think they're deserving of being in. So I don't like the idea of having an automatic Group of Five berth. Speaking of UCF. Do you think their win streak is over against LSU? No question. No doubt about it. I, not only is it over, I'm cheering hard for it to be over. Yeah. I'm tired of listening to the, the UCF nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's disrespectful. I mean, everybody knows that, that they're not the national champions and the fact that they've hey, they've done a great job in marketing themselves. they become a topic of conversation. Whether you love them or you hate them, uh, people are talking about UCF. They've had a great season. Um, they've had a great two seasons, and I think uh, just um, – uh, celebrating that for what it's worth is good, um, but they're not going to get looked over like Auburn looked them over last year by LSU. LSU is motivated to be playing in this bowl game. They've never played in the Fiesta Bowl before. They're playing against a team that um, you know that, that that wants to be considered one of the big boys, and um, you know I think I think LSU is going to give them their their full attention. So 
one of the big matchups that I look forward to, and that is, is UCF's run defense. They're one of the worst in the country. I think 118th against the run versus LSU, who they may not have the Geis or Fournette at the running back spot they've had the last couple of years, but they still run the ball very well. That's their primary focus, and, and run and play action off of that, that run game in the early down sequence. Do you agree with players sitting out for bowl games? Yeah, that's a tough question because, um, you know, in my day, I played at Florida 91 to 95. That was never a thought. You know, there was no idea of anybody ever skipping a bowl game. But today, with all the money that's on the line in the NFL, and um, if you're not playing in the, the college football playoffs, I can understand why a, a, a student athlete would decide to not play. Uh, for me personally, I have a hard time justifying that because as a part of a team, I want to show that sort of commitment to my teammates and be there for them in every game we play. But, um, you know, for a guy that's a, a first-round selection, I can understand why they may not want to put that at risk playing in another game that may not mean a whole lot when it's all said and done. Yeah, so, like, Greedy Williams is out. Mm-hmm. Rashawn Gary is out for Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then the Peach Bowl, is Florida's offense going to be able to operate with, like, Michigan's defense? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting. I would have had a hard time saying that they would have success against Michigan defense had I not seen Ohio State go up and down the field on them. Um, I think Florida has similar type athletes to what Ohio State does offensively. The question in my mind is the question that has been there all season long is how how does Florida's offensive line protect up front, both uh, protecting the pass game and, and, and move people in the run game. I think the one thing that I can say about Florida, the coaching staff this year, is that they've done a tremendous job of playing to the strengths of their talent on the roster and minimizing the deficiencies. And what I thought were the deficiencies early in the season was the offensive line and the quarterback position. And they've done a nice job. You look at the way they played against Mississippi State. They, they threw a lot of quick passes, a lot of uh, wide receiver screens, forced uh, the, the defensive line. They couldn't you know rush the passer the way they wanted to. They had to chase sideline to sideline pursuing. And they got fatigued. And towards the end of the game, they were able to run the football more traditionally because of the game plan. So I thought Florida's coaching staff's done a nice job of putting their, their offensive line and now their quarterback in positions to be successful. Felipe Franks is not a tremendous passer, but he's done a nice job in the run game over the last couple of weeks, and I think they're starting to find a rhythm and, and best way to use him uh, over this last portion of the season too. So do you think Franks is starting to turn a new leaf? I mean, after the, the FSU performance that he put up, it's probably his best game of his career. Do you think he's going to start – playing less hero ball and actually starting to get his mental right and yeah, you know, live up to his talent. The thing I look back at, you may remember the first drive of the second half against Georgia. He threw oh, one yeah. of the best passes that I've seen in his career here at Florida for a touchdown. I'm thinking, wow, why can't he do that every single down? But the problem is not physical. The problem is mental. The ability to process the information that he's seeing, the ability to, to let the defense dictate where he's going with the football. And um, I think that's where I see him um, still needing to, to progress. And I think it's going to be interesting. Emory Jones will have an opportunity, I imagine, to play some in the bowl game. And, um, you know, the, there's a new quarterback that they have committed coming in in the new draft or new uh, signing class in December. So there's going to be a lot more co- um, a lot more competition at that position, which should uh, overall raise the quality of play at that, at that spot. So national signing days this Friday, and Dan Mullen, he's not a proven recru- recruiter, but he's pulling together a pretty good class. Well, let, let's go back and, and look at what you just said. He's not a proven recruiter. He's not a proven recruiter to the rankings. The guys, the guy, the folks that that rank the classes, and I, I, I 
recruiting is such a, a inexact science, right? I mean, you're projecting what a kid that's 16, 17, 18 year old, old is going to do as he matures and, and grows up. Um, maybe a little bit to my own personal bitterness because I wasn't given a scholarship at high school. I walked on originally and had to get my scholarship, um, you know, on campus from coach as a walk on. And so I think that, that, that Dan Mullen has done a tremendous job of recruiting. If you look at Mississippi State, the job he did coaching in the most difficult division of the most difficult conference and making them relevant, there was a time a couple years ago that Mississippi State was number one in the country. And what I think he does really well is he recruits to the style of his offense. He doesn't recruit to, hey, let's make sure we, 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 we get every five- and four-star guy out there. Let's find guys that we feel like project well into what we want to do schematically on offense and defense and then you know make, make those guys uh, part of our class and develop the hell out of them when they're on campus. And so they may not always have the top ten recruiting classes, but I do think he's putting together a pretty good class. I think he's able to create some momentum with the success they had in year number one, the fact that Florida was four and seven last year and ended the season nine and three with a chance to win ten games in the bowl game is pretty impressive. So it's a great selling tool. Hey, we're heading in the right direction, but there's still a lot of holes on our roster. We need you to come be a part of what we're doing to build this to where we're a nationally prominent program fighting for a national champion again. Thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me.